Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this segment of Ask a Lawyer, a production of the Institute for Native Arts and Media. This half hour is sponsored by Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, serving Indian country in Oklahoma for over 40 years. My guest today in the hot seat, Dr. Christine Pappas. Dr. Pappas, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Kelly. What's up? I know. Lots <laughs> of things. And and with, with all of these crazy reversals and and like just complete mayhem that we've seen in the u.s supreme court every time sometimes like i gotta talk to dr pappas about this <laughs> so um let's talk about what happened last week though big week um for the legislature to codify same-sex and interracial marriage yeah um, yeah I don't think a lot of people understand how big that is. Right, so let's, right. Let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I like everyone to know I'm drinking out of my best wife ever cup, which I got for Christmas a few years ago from my black wife. So I actually have a kind of a couple of different dogs in the fight about gay marriage and interracial marriage. And I will also say that as an attorney and a political scientist who studied the Supreme Court forever, and really my my love of politics and um, civil rights, it all goes back to cases like Loving versus Virginia, where the Supreme Court said like you, a state cannot bar people from different races from getting married. So like I have a very personal connection to this issue, and then from a scholarly perspective, I also feel very strongly, you know, this is what I've studied for 25 years. So, um, and the story, I mean, the story really has to start with the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade uh, last year, which really put on the radar the very real likelihood that rights such as gay marriage and interracial marriage might actually be uh, undone by the Supreme Court. So, um, for both personal and professional reasons, I find I found that case shocking because, you know, I teach law and I teach, um, you know, the Supreme Court makes decisions following precedent. And if they're just going to throw out the precedent and and destroy all the legal doctrines that they've been upholding for the last um, 40 years, like I, I don't know what I study anymore, except for just naked politics, which I'm really sad. I mean, a lot of people have been saying that about the court for a long time, but I'm, I really had to come to see a lot of what the Supreme Court does is just naked politics, Democrats versus Republicans. They had cloaked that for a very long time, <laughs> but I feel like the, the veil has been ripped away and now that's what we're seeing. So uh, backing up to the original question, uh, Congress, which had been super lame and weak for decades by not codifying gay marriage, not codifying interracial marriage, just riding on the back of the court saying, oh, we don't need to address this. The court's got it. Well, they finally passed marriage, uh, a right to marriage through federal law. And so what that means is the Supreme Court, I mean, even if they undermine uh, cases like um, Obergefell and cases like um, Loving versus Virginia, then the, law, the, the right to get married will still be protected at the federal level. So um, the legal doctrine is the doctrine of privacy. And what the court has said is, if you read the constitution, it doesn't say there's a right to privacy. And therefore, if you're gonna use a strict construction of the constitution, then you can't uphold a right to privacy, even though the court had done so ever since the 1960s. Um, 
I could go further into that, but there are definitely things, private things that have been protected by the court before interracial marriage, before same-sex marriage. For example, the right to teach your children German was upheld by the court during World War I. That was one of the first privacy cases. Um, all of the, the privacy doctrines around uh, uh, the Fourth Amendment and uh, protection against search and seizure, that's a function of privacy as well. So my beloved Supreme Court and its numbers and it's it's very and it's literally historically the most right word it's ever been in the history of the court which is saying something um for a long time I really saw it as like the 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 bulwark of civil rights and liberties but now it's it's hard to not see it as like completely backing away from those amazing doctrines that it had protected stood up and protected for the last 40 years 40 plus years I mean, I could go on. I'm crazy about this stuff, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. I, I, you know how wonky I am, and and I because the the root and the 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 nuts and bolts of this issue is that is yeah. privacy. It's your yeah. personal privacy. It's what I am allowed to. It's the freedom, right? The freedom to to be able to marry who I want to marry to love who I want to love to do whatever two consenting adults want to do in our bedroom to uh, to all of it and and to what to just like you said to what you teach your children the traditions your culture yes when yes. trump started talking about terminating the constitution of course yeah. being a, being an american indian <laughs> That word termination, <laughs> my ears like it would do, 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 like the yeah. sonar yeah. went up because with the contentious relationship that Trump has had with American Indians, sure, with the contentious relationship American Indians have with the state of Oklahoma, yeah. worse than it's ever ever been in the history of this state, which which says a lot. Yes, yes. How? Well, yeah. How? I remember like, how, when how do we? How do we, with with the Supreme Court, how do we know that the Constitution is going to be protected rather than they go, you know what, you're not Indians anymore? Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, we've got that coming up in the big ICWA case. It's like, if the court decides to say that, you know, status as a Native American is a racial category, that just turns the entire jurisprudence on its ear. So the first president I remember talking about wanting to roll back cases like, you know, the early privacy cases was Richard Nixon. He said, we've got to stop protecting un, quote unquote unnecessary liberties. We, I mean, this is the long game. Conservatives have been playing the long game on these issues for decades. And the problem liberals have is we feel like if we make a logical point and prove that we're correct, that we're gonna win the argument somehow, that is not the case. That is not the case because we're not playing against people who wanna deal with logic. You know, you said it yourself about Trump wanting to suspend the, the constitution. They have no problem with turning full on totalitarian authoritarian state and just getting rid of any kind of civil rights and liberties. They do not respect a liberal society, small L meaning like, we're going to let the best idea live, uh, uh, best idea win. They want power. That's all they want. And when it suits them, they want freedom. And when it doesn't suit them, they want to restrict our freedom 
<laughs> and so we're not dealing with people that are dealing with logic. So Democrats and liberals have always done a terrible job of winning the, the battle for hearts and minds, making the case of why, why do we protect personal liberty? Why does everyone have a right to have their freedom protected? We just, uh, I mean, it's almost too late to start fighting now because, I mean, conservatives have a like 40 year um, head start on, on us. So, and, it, and we can't turn to the court and say, save us. We've got to win the debate every day with every person we come across. And, you know, I don't love that either. I was in a really uncomfortable situation the other day. Um, it was actually with a legal client. And it was, you know, we were make, filling time, just, you know, letting the, you know, waiting for things to happen. And then the, the conversation turned to politics and how much this client loved Trump and how much this client hated Biden. And like, I wasn't really in a position that I could argue very much with this person, <laughs> but I mean, you can't, I mean, we have to stand up for what's right every single time we have an opportunity to, or we're gonna continue to lose the battle. And we, the constitution is not gonna swoop in and save us. We've got to enforce it and implement it every day in every way as much as we can. I want to talk about what's crazy about throwing out the Constitution, right? Let's just let, let's go to that. <laughs> let's go to that crazy QAnon world of guns, gumption, and God, right? And no gays. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like I like yeah yeah. All those all those dudes are totally straight. Mm. Totally sure, totally. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if we go if we go there. And they throw out the Constitution, like y'all do realize that they're coming for your guns. <laughs> like the yeah. Second Amendment's gone. Yeah, the Fourth, the Fourth Amendment gone. Like your right to vote gone. It's, yeah. It's like I mean, and and the people who are cheering for this, it, it's like I said, I don't feel like people really understand what all the fuss is about. Like, what's wrong with throwing out the Constitution? Well, as much as these guys love running to court to try to get something adjudicated, they're going to be surprised when they find out, oh, wait, there's no more court to like say who wins. It's just the rule of the strong or whoever's in office now gets to say who wins. Uh, it's just more just wanting it both ways. And so so how and, and you know, OK, so this is this is my issue with liberals. And, you know, you know, I'm a tree hugging hippie liberal. I I am. And and so are you. And Absolutely. You. And your wife and all of these other people that we know, librarians. I mean, like hey man, librarians are the gut, fiercest. Like people. me, you like we will gut somebody if we have to, right? Like, <laughs> even if it's with vicious rhetoric. <laughs> like, like we are like we are not gonna stand for that, man. Right. And, and liberals everywhere are just like us. Why are we continuing to lose all of this? Why? When, when, we, when we've got such loud voices and such strong voices, and there are a bunch of us, like, why are we still losing the war? Yeah. Well, I was teaching government a few years ago, and it was when Obama was running, I guess it must have been 2008, and there were debates. And you know, they'd ask Obama a question, you know, Obama, you know, well, on the one hand, on the other hand, on the third hand, on the fourth hand, my students were so turned off by that equivocation. They just wanted a right answer, an answer. 
And I was like, Did, would you rather have a politician like dither around for a while, but finally get to the right answer? Or would you rather have someone just be definitive? Yes, no. And they wanted definitive answers. They would rather have someone definitive and wrong than equivocate and be right. <laughs> and that so that's one of the, the things that the liberals have to face is trying to sell our rhetoric to people that want clarity when in a world that there really isn't a lot of clarity. And and liberals, we we never want to leave. Number one, we never want to leave anybody out. That that's our problem with actually gutting somebody because it, because in our heart of hearts, it's like I don't know what this person is going through. What if this person is having a bad? Like that's liberals. Conservatives, they're like I don't give a fuck if this person is having a bad day. Exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. What? Here I'm going to kick you while you're down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your day the just got worse. <laughs> Lib, you know, I just owned a lib. You know, they'll go make exactly. a t-shirt yeah. <laughs> after yeah. that inside an insurrection, you know? And so that, that, and that brings me to where we're at now with, with this, this Trumpian logic and that whole, uh, with, with the January 6th committee, um, you know, basically suggesting, giving a suggestion that, Hey, justice department <laughs> look at this x y and z happened and this this is the definition of insurrection i love jamie raskin i love jamie raskin do you hear me <laughs> yes. i want to meet jamie raskin I, I i would probably cry like rock stars like i i, I cried when joe jet got on stage i'd probably cry in front of jamie raskin too <laughs> um but where does like if the justice department refuses to take that up we're talking politics here yeah. And and I don't know that that's going to happen because I mean where 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 are we? <laughs> I I as a political wonk, I I I don't even know where we're at. I don't know. Look at how many times Tr Trump has slipped through the noose. Like it was like ooh the Mueller report, ooh the first impeachment, ooh the second impeachment, ooh this, ooh that. I don't think I mean the legal system doesn't seem to be able to bring him down cuz he's just so fraudulent and wily and then the political system is completely not able to bring him down all mainly because it's lame too but also because he's got all these protectors that are working within the system to protect him for example obviously he lied his butt off in the first two impeachments like the evidence presented was fraudulent evidence is that not a problem that when you're trying to impeach a president and they just lie their butt off like there's no consequence for that like really so again, this is a situation where liberals have been praying for this political or legal solution to our Trump problems. But really, I think we got to continue to hammer away at people who are supporting Trump, because once he has less support, then the people protecting him are going to see that that's hurting him. And I really do think that we're getting kind of to the to the death throes of this Trump support. But I can't tell you how much I believe that any one of those a-holes who participated in the January 6th insurrection, they have no business being in our government today, House or Senate. They confirmed Supreme Court justices. They passed legislation. I mean, I don't think Roe versus Wade would have been overturned if we had been able to flush them into the toilet where they belong for wanting to overthrow our, our democracy and our processes. So I just, I mean, we've been liberals and Democrats have been losing this whole battle because 
the day after January 6th, they all needed to get flushed out. And we have been utterly unable to do it from a legal, political, or social standpoint. The, the tools are broken. Electoral College, um, the representation of the Senate, like we cannot express the will of the people because our institute, our antique democracy, the oldest democracy in the entire world is not set up to withstand a game show host president. <laughs> He's been able to manipulate at every turn. Okay, so. so so let's talk about that institutional systemic sickness. This, uh, how do we, basically to me, in my opinion, what's left is to just dismantle all of it and just just say, okay, we, we've got to start it. We've, we've got to go back to zero at some point because this everything is so far to the right. Everything. Yeah, Bernie yeah. Sanders is actually a moderate. You know <laughs> what I mean? Bernie Sanders isn't really this whole leftist, like socialist, AOC, like, oh my God, they're so far left. They're socialists. No, not really. Not, not historically. They may be a little bit more liberal than than a moderate a little bit a little bit to the left mm -hmm. of that but really they're not <laughs> i know they're not that I extreme know. yeah it's just because everything's so far to the right that's yeah. what makes them so extreme well conservatives and republicans have been able to game our democracy and win every advantage like figure out which states they can win which districts they can win polarize use interest groups like they're just playing the game better than Democrats who don't see it as a game. Like we see it as government and governing and policy, but Republicans see it nothing more than a game. So we're, it's just, we're bringing, you know, Democrats are bringing a constitution to a knife fight. <laughs> Here's my papers. <laughs> yeah, but you're wrong. Look Stop at my papers. papers. <laughs> you know, and, but, but that's a, that's a very, real things so where do people where do people like you and i fit into that mm -hmm. because there there's been more talk of civil war of um taking things back to basically taking things back to zero i mean it, it's just like i said people who are advocating throwing out the constitution that's basically what what they're what they're wanting even though they're even though they're not saying it in the way that i'm saying it just basically yeah. tearing the whole thing down and just like you said the the strong survive but yeah. who would that really be who would that be well the people with the most money and the people with the most guns <laughs> So, and I think, um, I mean, I feel like I'm more uh, the idea of, you know, every now and then people say, let's have a new constitutional convention. And the, the idea there would be not to just have, you know, a totalitarian government, but to have some new form of democracy. But I'm also afraid that whatever that would be, would be even worse. Cause I feel like the people who would advocate for whatever new system it would be like, they would be able to bake in the advantages for their their groups you know so I, I'm kind of scared of throwing it all away and starting from zero but what about like if if DC were a state and could get two more senators if Puerto Rico became a state and had two more senators think of what four democratic senators would mean for the U.S. Senate I mean that that little tinker alone would have a big impact um the electoral college um 
votes going toward where the popular vote is and not toward um, the state. I mean, that is a little tinker that would help a lot. Um, so even uh, like sitting the, um, the, Ch the Cherokee delegate at the US House, I mean, as I understand, she wouldn't be able to vote, but to have more vo voices in the room to like bring in ideas, and you know it doesn't make a huge difference for voting, but like to have Guam represented and bring in issues from Guam or you know from Indian country, like those those are ways to interject more ideas into into politics. So I th I'm more in favor of an incremental approach to reform and not throwing it all away. I'm just a dumb old unconstituted constitutional scholar, so <laughs> I love my little baby constitution. I hate to see it go away. <laughs> I, I heard something. I heard something on on uh, MSNBC the other day. I don't even remember who said it because I was I was doing something. I just heard, it. but it said um, that whoever was talking was talking about back in the the 90s and the aughts when all the conservatives carried around their pocket constitutions. You remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that like even, even up to like 2015, a, a couple of them were still like one, one guy was still carrying around his constitution, <laughs> but he was a libertarian too. Yeah. Um, he wasn't a, he wasn't a conservative Republican, but that speaks volumes because I mean, back then you could ask them what the Ninth Amendment was. Mm -hmm. You could ask them the, you know, they could quote verbatim the, you know, the Third Amendment. Now they don't give a shite shite about <laughs> verbatim anything. Yeah. Like, where's your constitution? Well, where's yours? Well, that's just what are you, a liberal? You're carrying around the constitution. <laughs> what a dork. That's a book. <laughs> that's just them like grabbing the narrative oh you don't have a constitution like i do and then when we get our constitutions they're like that's dumb why are you, why are you <laughs> right here's my constitution too yeah like, oh, god you're such well, a liberal and, and, this, and this is just a, a, a going back to our first part of the discussion this is just a little piece of the hypocrisy of the right so they always said that they hated activist judges. Like activist judges are the worst. You can't just get in the court and make law. You have to follow the law. And this is the same as carrying around the pocket constitution. So the thing that had saved Roe versus Wade for so long was so many judges believed in stare decisis and upholding the law. Well, then I went to a conference, it was probably like eight years ago. And I heard, a, it was actually an Oklahoma law professor, not from the University of Oklahoma, but um, he said, well, you can overturn cases that were wrongly decided and that's not breaking stare decisis. That is totally fine with like a strict construction of the constitution. Uh, you don't need to follow laws that were wrongly decided. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You said follow the law, like the law is a law. You don't get to sit there and decide what's wrongly decided in your opinion. You have to follow the law. And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, if it was wrongly decided, it can it can be overturned. And this is the lie that the conservatives had to tell themselves for why they had to follow like or, or condemn judicial activism, but then find a way to overturn Roe versus Wade, because obviously that wasn't going to work. And I knew I was just sick when I heard that being said and swallowed by everybody in the room. I'm like, OK, that's the end of Roe, because they've they've found a device to twist their logic to the point where justices on, you know, Federalist Society, justices on the U.S. Supreme Court are going to believe it. So part of it is packing the court with people on the right, and part of it is just, 
I think having complete, like no, no discipline to the logic that they were using when they were deciding their cases. Here's another thing that really pisses me off. So when Dobbs was being decided, um, they, the court refused to stay the Texas decision. Was it Texas? No, it was, yes, it was Texas. Texas. Okay. So they refused to stay the law. And so the law went into effect. Well, look at what's happening right now on the, the border with lifting Title 42 about the immigrants coming over, um, whether or not the COVID policies can stay in place or not. And so now when, when the court wants to um, prevent those immigrants from coming over, then they're like, they won't let the new law come into effect. So the Supreme Court has become just like a cheap magician card trick expert where they're like, it's like a little sleight of hand. So when the stay um, gets the, the policy result that they want, they will not, you know, will they will or won't put in a stay. Because once you make a law, once you let the law take force, it's really hard to like put the, the horse back in the stable. And I just think they've been really dishonest about the, you know, the principled use of a stay or not with, with, with a law. If a law is really going to change the status quo a ton, I think it should be stayed while you sort out whether the law is legal. It's not like, oh yeah, this law is super illegal. Let's let it go into effect for a while, and then we'll. <laughs> I mean, then we'll roll it back if it. Yeah. If we get yeah. too much blowback. Yeah. So I think but, that's another thing we've seen. And then the, the last thing about the court is its use of shadow dockets, where it's actually making some policy decisions in the, you know, in a. So the court, I mean, there's like 8,000 cases appealed to the court every year. And so a lot of times they're just not accepting the case to be heard. But in some cases, they're taking really important policy cases, and then they're deciding them secretly on the shadow docket. Sometimes they're even writing a little bit of an opinion to explain their reasoning. But these are not cases that used to be taken on a shadow docket, but they're trying to stay out of the limelight when they're making these decisions. So they they don't, you know, the public doesn't see what they're doing. So I just become very sad with my little favorite institution of the U.S. government, the Supreme Court. They're, they've been quite disappointing to me in the last year. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> as, as an as an Indian, I just yeah, all, all our all our entire history since 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 John Marshall. Oh, oh, yeah. Marshall. Oh, absolutely. But, okay, so with our last couple of minutes, I want to go back to something that, that you had talked about, um, which is the Cherokee delegate. Yes. Um, okay. So in my mind, I, I wholly doubt that they'll ever seat that Cherokee delegate because if they do, they have to acknowledge the other 573 other tribes. <laughs> Maybe. And, and they may not all have treaty. That, yeah. That, these are treaty rights. Now, now yes. that is completely different. That is completely different than, than a lot of these tribes, especially these the newer, the newer uh, federally recognized tribes. I don't know that they would have treaty rights going right. that far back if they if they were disestablished. So that that's all illegal, a lot of legal shenanigans. Yeah. However, do you really if if they started enforcing those treaty rights, like if if tribes and started making the US government enforce those treaty rights, where would we be then in the process of the rest of this cluster shag? 
So uh, as far as I know, the Cherokee Nation is unique in having a treaty that says Congress must set a seat a delegate. So Kimberly Teehee would be like very unique in that instance. Um, the five tribes among all the other 500 federally recognized tribes is also, they are also quite unique because they have, um, you know, they didn't just get rights of occupancy. They actually got rights of ownership through their treaties. And so I see their treaties as much stronger and just giving more permanent rights. So I think most other tribes could not make the argument um, from a legal perspective that they had a right to be in there. Um, but I mean, to, you know, for, for me, the symbolism of seeing Tihi seated would be huge to have her walk in and take her seat in Congress. Like, frick, yeah, like that would be so cool. It, it's similar to seeing Deb Holland as the head of uh, Interior, like to have a Native person over Interior, which is the branch of the federal government that, that handles most Native affairs. That is so powerful. And, you know, people probably don't understand or even know about what kind of powers that she has but the fact that she's like wearing her turquoise and like bringing in her aunties like that is such like symbolically super duper powerful so I think that'd be similar to Kim Kimberly Teehee like you know obviously a non-voting member of congress is not going to be like super impactful for final decision makings but just have her in the freaking room we all know that people act better when we you have people of all communities in the room with you when they're making decisions on funding for, you know, Indian health services, like to have her there, that would be amazing. And I would also like to hope that that would bleed over into an understanding and protection of other treaty rights, which I mean, basically have all been violated in every possible way. So like, why start here with this one? <laughs> like, well, no treaties are followed. Like, you know, it's kind of wild to think about it, but I was really heartened by you know, the, the fact that uh, Representative Tom Cole, who's Chickasaw, like he got the hearing in the Rules Committee to just, you know, to, to learn more information about seating Kim Teehee. And so I think, I mean, that was a good step that showed me that he was at least taking it seriously. And I, I know he is, but he's got to convince other members as well. But it is a thin, thin edge of the, the wedge, because once you do that, then obviously the demands are going to become greater and larger. So but I think it's awesome. I'd love to see it. Oh, me too. And, you know, for, for natives, especially for native women to see Sharice Davids, to see Deb Holland, uh, I'm getting choked up. I'm, I'm getting choked up about it now. You know, it, it's, it's such a huge thing. And they're like, they're tough women. Like Sharice Davids, she's a kickboxer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. She like, get smart, get smart with her. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> say something untoward to natives. That guy needs to be in jail. Like he doesn't deserve to be in the same room with her. Like gross. <laughs> Louis Gomert. What do you have to say, Louis Gomert? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh Lord. I, I can't hear your nonsense. <laughs> you know, and so it, it is huge. And I hope if, if, and if anybody's got a shot at it, it's the Cherokees, right? If anybody yeah. Yeah. has a shot to, to get this door open, it's the Cherokee nation. And so, yeah. or the Chickasaws or the Choctaws, like Bill Anantubby, I don't doubt that guy in the least. <laughs> that, oh, that dude, that dude can move mountains. Yes. Like, 
by his command. <laughs> so very impressive. Yes, indeed. Well, Dr. Pappas, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and talking to us. I always enjoy uh, talking to you about these these crazy times that we live in because we all know that you and I, as as women, as Indians, as members of the LGBTQ plus community, these these decisions are going to come down on us and our loved ones a lot harder than they are a, a lot of the upper class white men. Right, right, right. Um, and if I may, I was in a conference and the, they were talking about how the court shouldn't protect anybody if they, you couldn't get the law through Congress. And I was like, wait, Congress is a majoritarian branch. They're gonna vote for the rights of the majority without something that protects minoritarian rights, like the first amendment, for example, protecting your right to say something unpopular like we're screwed. You don't be telling me that our government can't protect things that, that are unpopular with the majority. That's the whole thing about American democracy is that we do protect minorities. So you are so right. Every one of these opinions and decisions that's made, it's gonna come down on people like us much harder than people in the majority. Indeed. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pappas. You've been uh, listening to Ask a Lawyer. This segment is a production of the Institute for Native Arts and Media. For more information about Oklahoma Indian Legal Services or to donate, you can visit the OILS website at oilsonline.org. And this is a production of the Institute for Native Arts and Media. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this segment will be on podcast if you missed any of this great conversation. Have a great day.